All right, it's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Starting off a new week here. And already I've got too much stuff in the queue. How do I put this tactfully? Maybe I shouldn't put it tactfully. Um, it's uh, heresy season is in full swing now. It's, that's what this is. You know, we heresy season. There's a there's a a break right around the holidays, and most churches will actually preach about Christ and uh, Jesus's birth. And then after that, it's as if uh, everything just rattles apart and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it comes right after Epiphany? Exactly. Okay. Right after Epiphany, heresy season comes in. You know, so, And I don't know what's gone on, but it, it, I, I'm backlogged at the Museum of Idolatry. And, uh, it's, and so as a result of it, I think I've probably got three days' worth of material sitting in my queue right now. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll work our way through it. We've got to do some tearing down as well as building up. It's important. So, so your queue is full. Queue is full. You should probably add some more letters in there, so even R and an S or something. Really? Yeah, because if the queue is full, then you have to maybe put some in the R and the S. I see. Yeah. Okay. I, <laughs> I'm not tracking with your logic, but I'll just work. I'll go with it, John. <laughs> okay. All right. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Christ. Our job here at Fighting for the Faith is to dish up a daily dose of biblical discernment and uh, compare what's going on out there to the Word of God. It's, we engage in biblical critical thinking, and uh, it's imperative in any age to do so, Well, especially now in the last times. And when did the last times begin? Uh, the last times began when Christ ascended into heaven. And Christ warned us that uh, there would be deceivers and angels of uh, demon de- what does he say the devil's masquerading as angels of light uh wolves in sheep's clothing false christ false prophets all kinds of deception going on and so what do we seek to do well we humbly work from the position first of all uh sola scriptura that is that the bible is the inerrant word of god and that it tells us the truth and if somebody tells us something contrary to the word of god then that person is a liar. And even if it's me. Folks, if I tell you something to the contrary to the word of God, then you, you need to tell me I'm not telling the truth. It's just that simple, right? You know. So what we do is we compare what's going on out there. We desire to take every thought, make it captive and obedient to Christ, as it says in 2 Corinthians. And uh, we've got lots of work nowadays. Lots and lots of work. You know, Consider me one of the white blood cells in the body of Christ. <laughs> <laughs> that's my job so uh today we oh man we got a good listener email uh in fact one of our listener emails is going to make it so that we're going to we're going to segue into our gospel reading today we're we've been working our way through the gospel of mark and our first email is going to segue us right into that because there's a question that has to be answered uh we're going to talk about we got an email from um a gentleman who has suggested a term for uh, seeker-sensitive, purpose-driven pastors or self-help gurus who masquerade as pastors. And uh, he's got a term that we're going to employ, and I want to read his uh, comment. So moving forward, there's a context for this. Um, Get this, Patricia King. Patricia King, I've got... I've got audio. It's actually video. You can watch it at at little11.com. Patricia King, this is the gal who uh, was one of the support uh, people for the Lakeland Revival, the so-called Lakeland Revival uh, in the summer of last year. Um, 
and this is the gal who also has a, a, a mortuary ministry that goes out to help raise people from the dead. And so far, they haven't raised anyone from the dead. But they may be getting closer. You just never know. Didn't she have a werewolf ministry? Werewolf ministry. Oh, That's right. We used to play the Monster Mash for her every time we would do an update for her because she did the werewolf ministry. But uh, she's I got audio of her blaming uh, the critics of the Lakeland Revival for the demise of the revival. Believe it or not, she's blaming the critics. Um, and <laughs> And then I've got a question for you. Um, it, I'm going to play some audio for you <laughs> and, uh, tell me if this is, uh, from a, a, a primal, primeval tribal animistic ceremony, or is it from a Christian church? Uh, but John already knows the answer because, you know, B is always the answer, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then if we have time, we'll be talking, uh, about, a, a an article that's appeared at, uh, Pyromaniac's website today called, uh, Carpe Diem. Uh, Carpe Diem Preacher Dude, you know, and uh, and then uh, we'll do a sort of a kind of sermon review. And the na- I won't tell you what it's about, but the, the sermon is entitled Beauty Restored. I mean, doesn't that sound like the gospel to you? If you think this is about the gospel, you would be tragically disappointed. So <laughs> got a great program today. Lined up. All right. So we'll, we'll get right into it. Um. Pastor Harold left a comment for us over at the Museum of Idolatry. In case you don't know, aside from my duties here at Fighting for the Faith and as the, uh, what am I the rear admiral of of, of Pirate Christian Radio? Do pirate, Just captain. Uh, uh, captain. Okay, yeah. so I'm the captain of Pirate Christian Radio. I, I, yeah, see, I don't think pirates have, there's not a lot of strata in their hierarchy. You know, there, I think there's captain and everybody else, right? That's right. Yeah, and and they vote on their captains. Yeah, yes. So you're an, an anomaly because you're a long-lived captain. That right, in pirate Christian radio. I see. Okay, I got to think this through. Okay, yeah. So I'm I'm the captain of pirate. So aside from my duties, I also happen to be the curator of the Museum of Idolatry. And uh, the Museum of Idolatry, believe me when I tell you it's a depressing website, people send me emails frequently saying, "How come there's nothing positive on this website?" <laughs> Well, because it's not supposed to be positive, duh. <laughs> no, we collect, we collect. I collect idolatry. You know what I consider to be false concepts, false teaching, false practices, or stuff that's contrary to scripture or undermines the preaching of the gospel, and put it in to the museum of idolatry to just kind of document along the way the, where the church is going wrong. And I put up a a piece at the museum of idolatry. Uh, remember Tad Grandstaff? He won. Uh, we we did a, a Christmas sermon review on him, if you could call it a Christmas sermon. Anyway, um, he won at the Museum of Idolatry. We actually gave him the worst Christmas sermon of 2008 award, and um, he, he's apparently wanting to submit his entry for the worst sermon of 2009. What, what's he get for that? Um, he gets an email from me letting him know that he needs to preach Christ and him crucified. <laughs> Funny enough, on, on that Christmas sermon that I that we reviewed, I actually emailed his boss. I know the I know the church that helped plant his church, and uh, since Tad doesn't like to listen to me, I e- emailed his boss and said, "Dude, you got to get a hold, get a rein in on this guy because he's preaching his own ideas as if they're the Bible." You know, his own he, anyway. So his sermon series is called "Bringing Sexy Back." Isn't that a song? You know what? I bet it is. I 
Hold on a second, folks. Must consult YouTube. I, I sexy bringing sexy back. I think that's a song. Now, now I know some of you are sitting there going, "Well, yeah, Chris, it is a song." And uh, the reason why I'm all excited because I think it's a song. Bringing sexy. There it is. Okay, hang on. Uh, is because I'm a nerd, <laughs> and um, I think Th- that's not a song. It, it wow! It says there's explicit lyrics on this. Just Justin Timberlake, you've got to be kidding me. There's a clean version. Hang on a second here. Uh, apparently, this is a song by Justin Timberlake. Uh, um, let's see. Uh, wait, I'm on Amazon. Hang on a second here. Okay, so um, www.youtube.com. So Justin Timberlake has a song called "Bringing Sexy Back." Okay. Works for me. Um, here we go. Bringing sexy back music video. Let's 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 listen in and see if. Uh, uh, man, wow! There's a lot of different versions of this. Um, bringing sexy back music video, but I want to see Justin Timberlake. Hang on a second here. Justin Timberlake bringing sexy back. All right. Okay. Here we go. Uh, this is it. This is it. okay. Oh, I, I've heard this. So apparently Tad Grandstaff over at uh, Pine Ridge Church has decided to do a sermon series named after this. Uh, 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 uh. I, I, I'm getting my groove on, man. Yeah, this is appropriate for church, don't you think? Okay, I think I've had enough of that. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> Tad Grandstaff at uh, Pine Ridge Church um, in North Carolina, has uh, is he's doing a sermon series called Bringing Sexy Back, and on his blog, he's excited. He's been sharing all of the artwork for the marketing material. They've got a billboard out. They've got door hangers and postcards that they're sending out. And, um, in fact, let me read to you from the door hanger for bringing sexy back. Remember when you were dating your spouse? Remember when you first got married? Remember how you couldn't keep your hands off of each other's? Well, let's be honest. Life has now happened, and those times are just memories. Okay. Um, Between work, children, financial pressure, and the physical changes that happen over the years, in my case, that would be an expanding waistline. And, um, you know, with other, you know, with some people, things just kind of head south and start sagging. You know, um, I think that's happening to me, too. So I'm expanding and sagging at the same time. Sorry, too much information. Uh, Anyway, he says, between work, children, financial pressure, and the physical changes that happen over the years, it's been a long time since you've felt that type of connection with your spouse. And during the next five weeks, Pine Ridge Church is going to be confronting these issues. Confronting the physical body changes? And showing you how you can start bringing sexy back into your marriage. I mean, doesn't that sound just so relevant? Therapy. <laughs> yeah, by the way, I did note at the Museum of Idolatry, and I did look this up. It's official. Um, Tad Grandstaff, Tad Grandstaff is not a licensed sex therapist. I just want you to know that. He does not actually have any of the qualifications necessary to lead a group therapy uh, session on the topic of bringing sexy back. Anyway, so these are the names of the sermons in the series. Uh, Lost Your Mojo, How to Get Your Sexy Back. Um, Broke Ain't Sexy, How to Manage Your Money. What? 
I can't, I'm I'm reading this off of his door hanger uh, marketing piece. Lip service, how to communicate in your marriage. Uh, lost your sex appeal, how to look, feel, and be your best. Okay, and who's your daddy? Uh, that one's balancing kids and marriage. I mean, wow, is that relevant or what? Um, problem is, is uh, just real quick, did Christ commission the church for us to go and bring sexy back? I don't think so, Chris. Okay, it sounds to me like you're basing this this on the Bible. You know, yeah. you're probably just one of those people who are committing bibliolatry. You are you are commi- you are guilty of making the Bible into an idol. Did you know that? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, th- so that's the setup for this email. Um, pastor Harold writes. He says a Tad Grandstaff is not a pastor. Now, Pastor Harold actually happens to be a pastor. Okay, now. Unfortunately for him, he doesn't shepherd a flock of 5,000 people. So by today's purpose-driven standards, he's in sin. Uh, Anyway, he says, pastors feed and care for sheep. I think we need a new title for these guys. And he says, and and gals. Yeah, there's a a bunch of gals out there doing this too. Anyway, he says, let me offer this, uh, this first suggestion. We should call them goat herders. Yep. I think I used to call him this at time, and I had I had stopped using this term, but Pastor Harold has brought it up, so I have to give him credit. I actually agree with him. Goat herder would be the right way of putting it. He says a goat herder pushes goats, entertains goats, and feeds goats. Goats are not like sheep. Uh, they'll lower their heads and butt you. They eat your trash and even climb up on top of your car. So a good goat herder had better keep his herd happy, give them all the trash that they want, and never turn his back on them. So as so as a goat herder, Tad is n- not doing too bad. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I mean, isn't it isn't it just great? I mean, wow, we as a church can we can bring sexy back? Yeah, man, bringing sexy back. Uh huh. You know what? What I what I wish these guys would do. I wish the people in these churches would throw these numbskulls out and bring Jesus back. <sighs> was that mentioned at all on any of his topics for his sermon? Topic? No, uh, Jesus was not. Jesus isn't needed for this kind of stuff. Come on. This is a church again, right? Yeah. Christian church? Yeah, well, that's what it says. Pine Ridge Church. Okay. You just have to I redefine just, what a church I just, is. I just want to check. That's all. <laughs> You know, again, you're you're probably just stuck on the biblical definition of church there, John. Mm-hmm. If you would just get past that, you could. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> got an email from Adam Stetson. Don't know where Adam is from, but I uh, got an email from him. And uh, this is an email that's going to segue into our reading of the gospel today. We're going to be reading from Mark chapter 4. And gratuitously, I was excited about the fact that this email touches on some of the one of the subjects we're going to be talking about today and uh let me read the email um dear mr rosebro see obviously he hasn't been listening long because he just he spelled my name right didn't mangle it one bit either that or it's just complete um respect on his part (laughs) (laughs) just doesn't know you well i I know if he just knew me he would not have done that he says he, he says You have often bashed using X to share your faith. I've heard Paris Hilton's My New BFF, High School Musical 3, and Halo 3 on your program. Did you know that you can share your faith using Halo 3? The Gospel According to Master Chief. 
Never mind. Anyway, I'm not exactly familiar with any of them, but I have played Halo 1 and 2, and I don't think the intent of these is to turn them into any false idols. Right. Okay, the let me let me I'm going to tell you the whole purpose of Halo 1, Halo 2, and Halo 3. You want to know what the purpose? Make money. That's what I would have yeah. thought. Yeah. These these are profit making enterprises. For, for profit, huh? For profit. Yeah. Their job is to create a compelling and engaging uh, game-playing experience that people would want to drop 50 bucks for. It's not a non-profit ministry? No, oh. it's true. I, I know. <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> don't, don't get me started. Anyway, so um, the whole purpose of Halo of the Halo franchise is to make money. And I've got news for you, too. The whole purpose of Paris Hilton's My New BFF on MTV was to make money. No. It's true. Say it ain't so. Yeah, I know, I know. You would think that Paris Hilton has enough money that this whole My New BFF thing was just some kind of a ministry outreach on her part for her to come alongside of and mentor these uh, these young, misguided teens. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it just sounded stupid coming out of my mouth, too. Okay. <laughs> Get this. High School Musical 3, you know what that was about? Making money. No. Yes, it's true. I thought it was like one of those Jesus films. <laughs> no. I mean, they have a Bible series for it. No, the Saddleback created a Bible study for it. Okay. Okay. None of these things in their original form by the companies that produced them were designed to set to give us anything about the Christian marriage uh, message, right? At all. These were money-making profit things. Okay, anyways, he says, I don't think the intent of these is to turn any of them into false idols. Do you disagree with supplementing a Bible study with anything in pop culture? Okay. Um, do I disagree with supplementing a Bible study with anything in pop culture? Um, why do I need to supplement the Bible with pop culture? That That's my first question. Because Jesus already, the Bible's already clear that the message we preach is foolishness, right? So am I going to try to make it less foolish? I mean, do you know that they have actually have a Gilligan's Island uh, Bible study? They have the Mayberry Bible study, the I Love Lucy Bible study. Did you know all that? Did you know all that? Yeah, you know, where you watch DVDs and then you 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 mine the DVDs for the biblical message in them. Okay, is the Gilligan Island one? Is that a three-hour tour? Yeah. <laughs> i know it's terrible okay anyway <laughs> anyway so he said the answer to the question is yeah i disagree with supplementing the bible with anything in pop culture if you're going to do a bible study then do a bible study if however while you're preaching the bible if there's a concept that's taught in the bible that can be better that you can explain it in a way using a cultural analogy or metaphor i don't have a problem with that but that's not what's happening here, okay? These seeker-sensitive, purpose-driven guys are basically trying to hide the offense of the gospel, hide the offense of the cross, make it so you know to make it so that we don't look like we're such idiots because we believe that the, that Jewish guy who was crucified on the cross was God in human flesh and actually died for the sins of the world. Do you know how foolish that is to most people? <laughs> believe me, when you preach that one, people are going to sit there and go, "You believe what?" I thought I, you know, me believing in aliens was stupid. They made a book about that, didn't they? About the aliens? No, the the, the Jewish guy. The dead the, Jewish the guy? guy? Yeah. 
Yeah, they did make a book. It's called the Bible. Oh, you know, it, <laughs> oh man. So I, I'm sorry, but it's it's we're trying way too hard to be appealing when the message itself is already said to be foolishness. Preach the foolishness of it. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Okay? Preach the gospel. Believe it or not, God says that it's through the preaching of the gospel that God grants faith, creates faith, raises people from the dead, and causes them to repent and receive the forgiveness of sins. Okay? Stop trying to, oh, I know this is going to sound stupid, so what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to use Halo 3 to try to make the Bible look relevant. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> anyway. Now we get to the, the crux of the matter that will segue us into the Gospel of Mark. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Anyway, are some of these legitimate ways a, a, a DCE, that's the Director of Christian Education, that's a Lutheran term. I, Adam Stetson must be a, he might be studying for, to become a DCE in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, DCE, that Director of Christian Education. Anyway, he says, are some of these legitimate ways a DCE could hook, as in hook, book, and, and took his or her youth? <laughs> You know, Adam, find get get uh, George Borghart's email address. Talk to the higher things guys. They don't need hooks and crooks and pop culture and stuff like that. These guys are literally packing their youth conferences with kids who are hungry for the gospel, and they don't end up and they don't have to um, come up with schlocky pop culture ways of hooking them. Anyway, um, yeah, higher things radio, higherthings.org. Adam, get a hold of George Borghart, Pastor George Borghart. He's the most Christ centered, non floofy gospel preacher I've seen in youth ministry today. And I've, I actually, we went to uh, the Higher Things Conference when they were here in Irvine. That thing was packed with kids. And you know what they were doing? They were doing in depth theological Bible study in the liturgy. Okay. And this thing was packed. Okay. We don't need pop culture. We don't need the world to help us. We need to preach the message that's been given. Okay? Now, this leads to a common misconception, which is where, what I want to spend a little bit of time with you on, Adam. And here's what he says. He says, he says Jesus used parables as a way for people to understand and relate to higher things. Okay? This is a common statement on the on the part of seeker sensitive and purpose driven guys oh well jesus used parables and and pop culture things as a way for people to understand and relate to higher things i'm going to make, make make this perfectly clear that's a load of garbage it's not true okay jesus actually told parables so that people wouldn't understand them you don't believe me okay um it's <laughs> open your bibles it's now time for us to go to mark chapter four Okay, Mark chapter four, those guys out there who are justifying all this mixing of pop culture with the with the Bible. Okay, they do not read their Bibles. Why? Because if they did, they wouldn't make such stupid statements. And and it is a stupid statement that, well, Jesus told stories using pop culture items of his day so that people can relate to the message. Au contraire. Um, we start at Mark chapter four. And by the way, this is our segue. We're now doing our gospel reading right now. <clears throat> Mark chapter four. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea and a large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables 
And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and some birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30 fold and 60 fold and 100 fold. And he said, he who has ears, let him hear. Okay, and okay. Now, if we're to believe the seeker-sensitive guys, okay, this that see Jesus here. He says a sower went out to sow seed. That's a farming illustration, right? Pop culture back then that was an agri it was an agricultural culture, agrarian. I think is the way we would say it. It's an agrarian culture, and so Jesus is telling the story. And see, there's a farmer, and people can relate to the farmer. And I'm telling you, people are going to hear this. This people back then would hear the story and go, "What a stupid farmer." That's exactly what they would say. Why? Where was he sowing the seed? Everywhere. (laughs) Okay, he was sowing it everywhere. He was sowing it on the path, in the rocks, in the weeds, and on the good soil. People are going to say, well, that's a dumb, (laughs) that's a dumb farmer. What's he wasting all that seed for, right? Okay, so no, the purpose of the story was not, he, he used stuff that was common to their understanding, but it didn't help them understand things. How do I know? Well, we come to the next verse, Mark chapter four, verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with, uh, with the 12 asked him about the parables. Okay. The, the disciples said that what, 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 uh, Jesus, what did that story mean? Do you think the, the, the do you think the disciples got it? No, they didn't get it. They didn't get it at all. Jesus told these stories, and people were sitting there going, "Wow, that was a a, a, a great." Uh, what does it mean? Okay, that's exactly how it went. So we read Mark chapter four, verse ten. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to them. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Jesus spoke in parables because he didn't want everyone to understand the mysteries. It was, in fact, the whole purpose of the parables, in one sense, was to shroud the meaning in, in mystery. Over and again, when we read the stories in the gospel and we read that Jesus told a parable, the disciples would have to come to him and go, uh, Jesus, what did that mean? <laughs> okay. Now, if and see, the fact that Jesus has to explain it proves that Jesus wasn't trying to be seeker sensitive or relevant or anything like that, because it's afterwards, after the crowds dismissed, the disciples come and go, can you tell us what that meant, Jesus? And so we'll, we'll read a little bit when we get back from our first break. So um, he would make a real rotten life coach. Yeah. It's, it's, and see, this parable of the sower and the seeds, how do you apply this if you're a farmer? I mean, is, is what's, the, what's the takeaway here? How should I apply this? Should I just go and start throwing seed everywhere? Waste your grain. That's right. Waste your grain. And, and see, God will give you a hundredfold increase. And you're sitting there going, no, that's not how you interpret this. Anyway, 
mean, we'll be right back. If you would like to email me uh, regarding anything you've heard on the show, uh, you can do so. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. We will be right back. Reaching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. My name is Rex, and if you study with my eight-week program, you will learn a self-feeder system that I developed over two seasons of preaching in the Octagon. It's called Rex Quando. I need a volunteer to come up here and show that they trust me. I'm here. Okay, you'll do. Come up here. Bow to your pastor. Bow to your pastor! Okay. Now I'm going to give you one chance. One chance, people. Turn around. Turn around. All right. Now fall back and I'll catch you. Ow. That was pretty good. Now, listen, everybody. The reason why he fell was because he didn't have enough faith. Go sit down. Okay. When I fall, I fall in slow motion every time. Now, in addition to what you just saw, if you study with my eight-week program, you're going to learn these things. First off, in Rex Kwando... We use the buddy system. No more reading the Bible solo. You need somebody watching your back at all times. Second off, you're going to learn to discipline your image. You think I got where I am today because I dress like Peter Pan here? Take a look at what I'm wearing, people. Bible pants. Yeah, you have to be pretty righteous to rock these babies. Do you think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? Forget about it. Last off. My students will learn how to walk on water, heal babies, raise the dead, and be extreme. Now, for only one $300 seat offering, you can sign up right now for my eight-week program here at Guts Church. Hi, I'm Patrick Kyle, a founding partner of New Reformation Press. Just as the first Reformation rediscovered, reclaimed, and restated timeless truths from the Word of God, the mission of New Reformation Press is to reintroduce these truths to the contemporary church and culture. All of our resources are handpicked to ensure that you have the best available biblical and doctrinal materials at your fingertips to help you grasp the treasures of the Reformation and deepen your own understanding of Christ and His work on your behalf. Browse our website at newreformationpress.com. We offer books, CDs, downloadable MP3s, and our very own line of Reformation-themed clothing. Check out the audio presentation, Bible in an Hour. Absolutely the finest overview of the scriptures that the staff at New Reformation Press has ever heard. Also, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt's presentation, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, a stunning 200-proof presentation of the gospel for those who have been hurt by the church and discouraged as a result of false teaching. Available exclusively through NewReformationPress.com. Again, that's NewReformationPress.com. 
All right, we're back, and you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Blowing up seeker-sensitive mythology. One of the things we do here. Yeah, this uh, idea that the, the reason why Jesus spoke in parables was to make things easier for people. Hogwash, that's not what the text says. <clears throat> yeah, that's not what it says at all, does it? No. Anyway, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith, and want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio, which means that uh, we need your support in order to continue bringing you this broadcast. Um, if, if you are benefiting from this program, if you are growing in your understanding of, of the scriptures, how to biblically and critically think critically, how you know, growing in your discipleship, growing in your understanding of the scriptures, um, then we need you to support us. And you can do so by a couple of different means. Number one, you can send a check to Fighting for the Faith, at Post Office Box 791, SJC, California, 92693. Or if you would like to donate online, you could do so by going to fightingforthefaith.com and clicking on one of the donate buttons. It's a great thing to do, and it helps ensure that uh, we'll be around for a long, long time. All right. Um, also, we also have our ebook of the month. But is that what you're writing? Store. Store. Yeah, we do. At Pirate Christian Radio, by the way, we do have a store, too. You can buy uh, Pirate Christian Radio uh Merchandise. We've got T-shirts, coffee mugs, or you can uh, you can buy our ebook in the month. We're working on our our, our next stuff too. We got some great things coming up in February. Oh, by the way, I I voted for you for captain. You did? Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate that. Because you, you know, on a pirate ship, it's a democrat. It was one of the early democratic societies, and a pirate a captain was only captain as long as the crew had confidence in him. It basically means he had to perform. If he was bringing in the booty, they kept him as captain. And if uh, things would get high and dry, they'd vote somebody else's captain. So, <laughs> I appreciate that, John. <laughs> How many people did voted on that? Me. Okay, all right, just checking. <sighs> <It's> a, <laughs> so it was unanimous. Yes, it was. <laughs> cool. <laughs> <laughs> all right, coming back to our <clears throat> our gospel reading here. You know what I want to do? Uh, I want to read m- uh, the re- the cross reference to Mark chapter four. Because this idea that Jesus told parables so that everyone can understand things easier, it's a little bit better explained in uh, in Matthew chapter 13. So I, I'm going to pick up the story at verse 10 after he's told the, the parable of the sower. Okay, This sower, this farmer who's just throwing seed everywhere. Um, so we pick up at Matthew chapter 13, verse 10. Jesus says this, um, then, then the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he uh, he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says... You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have been closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. So Jesus has to explain it. Okay. If Jesus has to explain the punchline to his disciples, 
that is proof positive beyond a shadow of a doubt. These are not secret sensitive pop culture stories. Okay. <clears throat> Here then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. I, I read that little thing and I basically say all, all these seeker sensitive guys, these, these, these shallow converts that they have, at the first sign of any real Christian persecution, they are out of here. Okay. Because they, their, their biblical roots, their, their discipleship roots just barely scratch the surface. Anyway, okay. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but cares, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves to be unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understand it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold and another 60 and another 30. Okay. So, <clears throat> so Jesus, the reason he told these parables was actually to make it so that the mysteries of the kingdom would only be given to the people who had faith. Everyone on the outside, they didn't get it. You know, the, the best way I can describe this, let me use a pop culture example to elucidate. See, that's the thing. You can bring in examples if it'll help you better understand the point the Bible is making. Okay, but people don't do that. They use the pop culture as the hook. Oh, we're relevant. See, um, there was a there was a joke I told when I was a kid back in high school. And the, the joke would basically you have to do it like this. You'd have to tell like three or four other kids that the joke meant nothing. And that when you say the punchline, you tell them what the punchline is in, ahead of time. And so you find and, and you tell them that when I say the punchline, everybody laugh. Okay. And then you go find some kid who doesn't know that the joke is that there is no joke. Okay. And you go and you tell the joke. Okay. So the, the joke that I told when I was in high school went something like this. So it was a penguin on an iceberg. Okay. And the iceberg broke. Okay. Actually, there was two penguins on an iceberg. The iceberg broke and one penguin was left stranded on, you know, on one end of the iceberg and the other one started going out to sea. And the, the, the one penguin shouts out to the other, what do you think I should do? And the other one says, I don't know, no soap radio. And that was the joke. You sit there and go, that's terrible. <laughs> you know, there was like no punchline, right? No soap radio. So you tell your friends, as soon as I say no soap radio, everyone laugh. Okay. And so I'd tell this joke and, you know, and all my friends would, and I would be laughing and the, the poor kid be sitting there going, I don't get it. Okay. But every now and then you tell this, you tell the joke to a kid who'd sit there and go, ha, ha. He'd start laughing too, and you'd laugh harder because you know he doesn't get it. So Jesus tells these stories, okay, and the disciples are—they are, don't even get the punchline, and they have to come to Jesus afterward over and over and over again. Uh, Jesus, can you fill us in on what that meant, please? So, <clears throat> anyway. So I'm going to continue with Matthew here for a second. He says, he put another parable before them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. While, and, and while his uh, men were uh, sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. So his servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? 
But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned and then gather the wheat into the, into my barn. Okay. We continue. He put another parable before them saying the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make their nest in its branches. Does this sound seeker sensitive to you? Um, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like, uh, like leaven that a woman took and, and hid in, in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. And all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. And then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, Hey, can you explain to us the parable of the weeds and of the field? (laughs) Again, it is a seeker sensitive myth and lie that Jesus told culturally relevant stories in order for people to understand the kingdom. Okay. Jesus told stories that had cultural content in them, but it wasn't to help them understand the kingdom not in the truest sense of the word, because Jesus had to go and explain to them what it all meant. So parable interpretation is an art form, and it's done wrong by those who don't have faith because it's still a mystery to them what these things even mean. Anyway, just had to bring that in, you know, bring that up. So, all right. So, you know, um, come back to my email here. Adam, just want to let you know, it is not true that Jesus told, used pop culture to tell, you know, things. In fact, if Jesus used pop culture to shroud the mysteries of the kingdom, not to make it easier to understand. And we can only understand them by faith and trusting and understanding through what Jesus tells them what they mean. Because even the disciples are sitting there scratching their head going, Okay, I understand a farmer. I, I get that. And I can get the whole thing about a field and, and leaven and stuff. But I have no idea what these things mean, Jesus. <sighs> anyway. All right. So moving along. <clears throat> Got to go to my web browser here. Because um, as promised, let's see here. Patricia King. Patricia King. We've, we, we've talked about her earlier. She This is the gal who's battled werewolves who has a mortuary ministry to raise the dead, but no one's come back to life yet. Thank God. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Her goal is to make a million bucks this year for her extreme pathetic, I mean prophetic ministry. And um, this is a segment from a video from her. She had received very specific insights from God for what was going to happen in 2009. Did you know that? No. It's true. Um, well, she claimed that. Um, and in this one, this the last video that is out there on YouTube, uh, she taught in, in this, this last prophetic word for 2009, she actually has the audacity to blame the demise of the Lakeland revival on the critics. Okay. Now, in case you are not familiar with the Lakeland revival, we'll play a little bit of Todd Bentley for you here in a minute. Um, that thing came to a fizzling end, well, because it was discovered that uh, Todd Bentley, the ring circus ringleader of the 
so-called Florida outpouring, was having an inappropriate relationship with his nanny. In- inappropriate? Yeah. Let's just say that <clears throat> we've since learned that it was, well, you know, sexual. Okay. Okay. And he was married. But not to the nanny. No, not to the nanny. So, anyway. And he's getting a divorce from his wife. Anyway, so uh, here is Patricia King um, having the audacity to blame the the destruction of the Lakeland Revival on the critics. And uh, you can't wait to play this for you. Actually, here, my computer's acting a little bit funky. Here we go. We'll load this. When? All right. Turn the sound up. And we're going to have to really turn this up because the audio is a little low. Here we go. The Lakeland Revival was being broadcast over the television and that it was actually the first media revival of its type. I realize that there's a lot of people that have their opinions on what happened in the Lakeland Revival and, and some even question if it was a real revival. But I'll tell you before God, that was a true revival. In fact, it was the first media revival. that uh, A true revival. Okay, so we've got Patricia King, who, by the way, was one of the leaders, you know, during the during the revival itself. I mean, they the services they had lasted quite a bit. And I've got I've seen video of Patricia King actually performing healing on the stage at the Lakeland Revival. Um, but the ringleader itself was uh, Todd Bentley. I just want to remind you all of some of the things that were said at the uh, Lakeland Revival that that Patricia King just claims is true. Um, but you know, I kind of challenge that based upon just some simple biblical discernment. So, uh, here's some highlights from maybe lowlights is a better way of putting it from the Lakeland revival. Some of the things that Todd Bentley said there, the woman was standing in the back of the room when the faith of God hit the meeting and her tumor exploded out of her right leg, slid down her leg onto the floor. I said, God, I've prayed for like a hundred crippled people, not one. He said, that's because I want you to grab that lady's crippled legs and bang them up and down on the platform like a baseball bat. I walked up and I grabbed her legs and I started going, be healed, be healed. I started banging them up and down on the platform. She got healed. And I'm thinking, God, why is not the power of God moving? He said, because you haven't kicked that woman in the face. And there's this older lady worshiping right in front of the platform. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. The gift of faith came on me. He said, kick her in the face with your biker boot. I inched closer and I went like this. Bam! And just as my boot made contact with her nose, she fell into the power of God. And I saw him and the gift of faith came on me. I said, what do I do, God? And God told me to just run him down. So I jumped up in the air and I went, bam! And I hit him to the ground, jumped onto it, and got into a full mount. Ground and pound. I jumped on it and I was in a full mount. And something came over me. And instead of punching I grabbed him by the neck and started choking him. And I said, come out of him, devil! Come out of him, devil! Now I was in another meeting one time and I called out this Chinese gentleman. And all of a sudden I went running down the aisle and I, I hit this guy so hard 
It drove him back several feet. He hit the ground and his tooth popped right out of his mouth. The pastor was lying on the floor. And I was standing up on the platform and I said, God, I want revival. And he said these words to me. Leg drop the pastor. I said, what? He said, leg drop the pastor. All right. So uh, that's just a reminder of the people who got hit, punched, kicked in the face, choked, uh, had their teeth knocked out. People who had uh, who, who he leg dropped them. I guess that's some kind of a wrestling move. And Patricia King is still saying, oh, trust me. Trust me. I, I swear it's from God. Right. And to which I say hog wash the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ would never behave or condone anything such as the circus that occurred at Lakeland. Anyway, so let me back this up so we can hear Patricia King speaking on this and again. Lakeland revived. And uh, hang on a second here. I want you to hear what she has to say and then how she's blaming the demise of this, not on Todd Bentley's adultery, but on the critics like people like me. And, and some even question if it was a real revival but i'll tell you before god that was a true revival in fact it was the first media revival that the world has experienced of anything in its type and with it being new and because it took on so much criticism and especially from the church every time that we come into critical judgment and we start gossiping and slandering and things like that. What it does is it... Oh, okay, so gossiping and slandering is now when you take what somebody says and compares it to the Word of God. One of the things I'm very proud of is the fact that uh, I was able to take a role in helping to expose that charlatan and the the the, the false revival that Lakeland w- was. And at 11, we we did quite a bit of videos on, on it. We talked about it on this program while it was going on. And um, and there, uh, there was a guy on the Internet. His, he goes by the handle of Local Pastor. And he did a yeoman's work of putting together videos out there and getting them out there so people can see the real circus that this thing was. And people identified it for what it was, satanic and false. And um, Patricia King and the gang, they they welcome to the new media because it wasn't Christian radio stations that were doing the work. It was the bloggers. It was the people on YouTube that were doing the work. And uh, they 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 were exposed for the frauds that they were. Thank God. Anyway, we continue. Gives the enemy an entrance place, a landing strip. And it, it- okay, got to stop for a second here. Let me back this up so you can hear her in context. He doesn't. Have- Hang on a second here. And we start gossiping and slandering and things like that. What it does is it gives the enemy an entrance place, a landing strip. And it, it, it gives him authority to operate outside of us giving him authority. He doesn't have any because he's been stripped of authority. Uh, Patricia, where does it say in Scripture that if somebody exercises biblical discernment and compares what you guys are doing to the word of God, that it gives Satan a landing strip? In fact, I did a, I actually did a search in my computerized Bible for the word landing strip. Didn't find it anywhere. I can't find a single passage of scripture that says anything of the sort about Satan receiving a landing strip when um, false teaching is exposed. In Christ. But if we fuel him and give him a place, then he can use our authority for his authority. 
Uh, okay, so apparently bec- the critics gave Satan authority to attack. See, he borrowed the authority from the from the Christians who were exposing the the charlatan shenanigans at the Lakeland uh, revival, and we 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 critics gave Satan authority, and he used it to destroy the the, the meeting. Did you know that? So I believe personally that a lot of curse came and individuals were taken out, the revival was taken out or hindered because of the warfare that came against it. And we were... How about that, uh, That was it ABC News that did the special on them, found that not one healing could be verified from Lakeland? Not one. Apparently there were 30-something people who were supposedly raised from the dead, and not one of these stories could be verified. And you know they went there and asked Todd to provide them, and they, and they didn't. But Todd, God... Todd told God what to do. Yeah, he Todd said, I want a revival. And God said, well, then just leg drop the pastor. <laughs> That's awful. All right, we continue. Not familiar with that level of war. All right, I got to back it up because, you know. This, I mean, that's powerful when you can tell God. With- what was that? That's powerful when you can tell God what to do. Oh, yeah. These these guys have <laughs> no fear of God whatsoever. Otherwise, they wouldn't be saying this the stuff they're saying because it's all a crock of lies. Anyway, let's let's hear her again in context. That level of warfare. When you get religious spirits and political spirits working together to come against something, it creates swirls in the spirit. That what? Where does it say that when you've got religious and political spirits coming together, it creates swirls in the spirit? What is a political spirit? I have no idea. What's a swirl in the spirit? Where do where? Hey, hey Patricia. Can you uh, provide me a single passage of scripture that says this, that, 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 that talks about the swirls in the spirit that happen when political and religious spirits conspire together? <sighs> Make people vulnerable and mandates vulnerable. We must stand united. We might not agree with everything the same way, but we shouldn't be nasty. There's so much cruelty during that time. Absolute cruelty. Calling what they were doing satanic. I don't think that's cruel. I think that's accurate. That wasn't cruel. That was accurate. And why on earth should we work with you, Patricia King, when what you are doing and teaching contradicts the word of God? It's not Christian. This is occultic. Cruelty from from believers saying nasty things, writing nasty things, just so many judgments, awful things, tearing down instead of building up. Um, when it comes to false doctrine and this kind of shenanigans, uh, tearing down is the right thing to do. I mean, it was weird. Remember we played Benny Hinn? And Benny Hinn just came right out and just let these people have it both barrels. It was the most biblical thing I've ever heard that man say. <laughs> I'm still in shock. And so we need to be very, very careful in this year because what God's showing us is that there is a level of witchcraft and a level of power. Oh, apparently God's showing her something now. There's a level of witchcraft and a level of power. Why, why, I'm so glad that God revealed this. I would I would have missed this if it, it got, I mean. Of satanic powers in the heavenlies that are moving on a global level that once we start entering into that global release, there is... So much warfare there that we need each other support. And I don't need you, Patricia. And Christ doesn't even need me. That's the reality. I, I don't need you, Patricia, because you don't preach Christ and him crucified. What you preach is something completely foreign to the scriptures. You preach your dreams 
as if it's the word of God. You are a liar, a false prophet. You, you know, if I could use a metaphor here, she's got the spirit of Jezebel. Wicked, wicked, evil, idolatrous woman. That's what Patricia King is. Prayers in order to stand in that place. <sighs> Isn't that great? We need Patricia King. We got so whatever whatever she's got planned for 2009, that's her appeal to not tear her down. Cuz we need each other. No, Patricia, when you start preaching Christ and him crucified instead of all of this ridiculousness, the breaker anointing and and, and still sticking to your guns and saying that the Lakeland outpouring was really from God, there is not one shred of evidence that it was anything more than a three-ring circus that was broadcast on God TV in order to make a ton of money. That's all that it was. <sighs> anyway, um, we're going to go into our second break. But um, before we do that, I, I want to give you a preview of what you're going to hear when we come back. And, and I just, you know... See if does this sound like it's from a Christian church or does this sound like it's from something really tribal? Um, we'll 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 catch the full thing here, but here 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 we go. What do you think this is from? Yeah, does that does that sound like you know maybe we were listening, we were watching National Geographic channel, and we were watching one of those uh, you know those like some some Zulu tribe doing some kind of a you know dancing around the fire. The natives on the Jungle Boat Cruise. Exactly right. See, I'm very familiar with the natives on the Jungle Cruise. I did Jungle Cruise for two years, by the way. Welcome aboard a the captain. world famous. That's right. I was a Jungle Cruise captain. Welcome aboard the world famous Jungle Cruise. My name is Chris, and I'll be your captain and skipper for the next five exciting days and six romantic nights. Unfortunately, I remember that spiel. <laughs> anyway, so when we come back, we're going to play what that's from. And, and I'll, I'll just tell you right off the bat, that's from supposedly from a church. It's not from the Jungle Cruise at Disneyland? No, it's not from the Jungle Cruise at Disneyland. So I was wrong. I know. So you got to catch the second hour, folks, because it's uh, even crazier than the first. I uh, want to remind <laughs> Oh, man. Um, if you would like to email us, you can do so at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. And we will be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. 
My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus schlock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn radio program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, available exclusively at NewReformationPress.com, or the big-picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com Finally, Reformation Theology Made Accessible. All right, we're back, and you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. talk a little bit about the state of the church right now. Apparently people are into tribal expressions of the so-called anointing. Alright, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I'd like to thank you for tuning in for the second hour today here at uh, Pirate Christian Radio. Uh, As we continue our discussion, we talked about Patricia King and Closely related to Patricia King is a guy by the name of Rick Joyner, and he's got a uh, a church called Morning Star Ministries, which I think is kind of an interesting name because Lucifer, Satan, that 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 Hebrew name actually means son of the morning star. Um, so it's, uh, I don't think that there's a, it's uh, by accident that's the name. I think we're now to a point where Satan is openly behaving badly in so-called. Christian churches, and I think this is one of them. By the way, if you want to see this video, go to uh, the Museum of Idolatry at a littleleaven.com, and uh, we've uh, posted this up there as one of our exhibits. And uh, here we go. Um, without any further ado, I want you to hear what's going on. It's There's not a lot of words. I think you can just get it from what you hear. We'll go. Lord, move among us. That's Rick Joyner asking people, asking God to right. move among people. This Tori's is- got something she's going to release. And when this releases, it's going to be like a starting gun for the ministry time. So those of you who would like ministry, go ahead and stand up. Get in the middle section. Youth, children, those who have been touched by the fire, prepare to minister. Yeah, he's here. Two days ago, I saw Jesus opening himself up and walking in our midst. (laughs) Today, the phrase that keeps going in my mind and in my heart 
is that my deep calls out to his deep. My deep calls out to his deep. I have no idea what that means. My deep goes out to his deep. This woman, um, for lack of a better way of describing it, she looks like she's possessed by a, a demon. She saw Jesus walking. Yeah, amongst, amongst them. them. Yeah, apparently. We continue. My deep calls out to your deep Jesus. My deep calls out to you. My deep calls out to his deep. My deep calls out to his deep. Uh, yeah, you're hearing them playing drums in the background. These are tribal drum drums. Is this creeping you out as, as much as it's creeping me out? This is supposedly in a church. This sounds like Indian shamans uh, doing a, a rain dance or something. This this is supposedly a Christian church, folks. I think the worst part about this video is there are kids in the audience that are going up to the front of the stage. There's a lot of people in this audience. This is not a small little church. You know, I, I think this is one of the songs they play at the Tiki Room at Disneyland. <laughs> it, it is next to the Jungle Cruise. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I've pretty much had enough of this. But, uh, folks, this is... Uh, I, there, the, there's one word that comes to my mind. Demonic. Um, apparently, I have no idea what she's saying. Maybe she's singing in tongues or something like that. But this, I mean, if, if that's the case, this is flying directly in the face of Scripture, which says that uh, things are to be orderly, and if someone speaks in tongues, there has to be an interpreter, okay? Um, absolutely. See, here's the deal. We, we've talked about the liberals. We've talked about people like John Shelby Spong, Marcus Borg. When we, recently, we played audio from these guys denying the Scriptures, right? There's another way in which you can deny the Scriptures, and that's by adding to it. Okay, there's a reason why sola scriptura is so important, and that is is that um, we know by Christ's stamp of approval on both the Old Testament and the New Testament writings that we are receiving the Word of God and the words of Christ, and they 
and these are sure and certain words and that we can test doctrine against. These people, they might say that they believe in the Bible. They won't deny it in the way that Marcus Borg does. They won't deny it in the way that John Shelby Spong does, but they deny it nonetheless. Why? Because they claim that their dreams and visions are on par with Scripture. Okay, And they preach their dreams and visions as if they are Scripture. I want, I want you to hear a little bit of... Uh, of uh, Rick Joyner here. This is from a, a video from uh, from God TV Europe, and um, just you just need to hear a few minutes of it to kind of get what's going on in the gist of this video. Let me turn the sound up because the sound was down on this one. Here we go. This is Rick Joyner, and this is in the same church, by the way, where this tribal thing took place. Now, just uh, the beginning of April, we had a conference here because of a dream I had in which the Lord said. In the dream that if we would honor our fathers, he would uh, bring revival to America within six months. Really? Wow. That was pretty specific. If, if, if we would honor our fathers, then God would bring revival to us in, within six months. La, 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 la. And worse, this isn't even in the Bible. Worse is supposed to believe that you know, he, he, this whole the God's talking to him and he can exegete his dreams as if it was the word of God itself. Right. It reminds me of the psychic friends. Network. The psychic friends network. What was that? Uh, who was that black lady that was on there with a Creole accent? You know what I'm talking about? I can't remember her name. Oh, somebody's going to have to email me that. But yeah, she was actually, I think she was, she was indicted on some kind of charges fraud. or some fraud or something. Anyway. So also fraud. Fraud. Yeah. <laughs> fraud is a good, a good word here. Um, so anyway, let's, let's let's listen to Rick Joyner a little bit more. Now, I had that dream back in 2007, and he showed me some people that we were to honor, and they were all healing evangelists from the 40s and 50s. That's why I think there's been an anointing on that swing music and everything we've been doing. But uh, but somehow those those people, those fathers from that time really touched him, you know, Faith pleases God, and they had to... So apparently we're to honor the faith of anointed teachers from the 30s and 40s? How about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and... The, the, you know, the apostles, they walked with Jesus and actually recorded the things that he said in the scriptures for us. In, you know, the four biographies, you've heard of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Anyway, so, uh, all right. But see, God told him this directly. So who cares about what was written in the Bible? We've got, we've got prophets that were more recent than that. And they talked to God, man. Extraordinary faith. They made mistakes like everybody in the scripture did, but one, um, Jesus. But they, uh, something extraordinary was released during that time and really touched God and touched the nations. Um, so anyway, we... You know, thought that the only thing we knew how to do was to hold a conference on honoring the fathers. We didn't know what we were going to do, really. But we did it together with um, White Dove Ministries, Paul Keith Davis, because, you know, the years that we've known Paul Keith, he has, I think, sought understanding of that period of time and honored those great evangelists from that time more than anyone else I ever knew. So I talked to Paul Keith. I said, let's just do something together to do that. And... Um, and we did. And there was an, I felt, an, 
you know, just an extraordinary grace upon it. We felt... Well, that's great. I mean, he felt an extraordinary grace. That means it really is true. Because he felt it. You know, what's really funny is, is that as I was listening to this, you know what I felt? The presence of sheer evil. That's weird. Hmm. And I heard many of our team leaders say afterwards, that was probably the most important conference we've ever done. And uh, the reason the Lord told me to honor our fathers, you know, the commandment is to honor your fathers and mothers. But the re- yeah, Tell me the reason why God said that. Did he actually tell you the reason? Were you, were you sitting on Mount Sinai while the pillar of smoke and fire was there? Where were you, Rick, when God sp- said this? The reason he told me specifically, he said it, it was by dishonoring fathers or the release of a, of a powerful assault on fathers and fatherhood that also began back in the 40s and 50s, that opened one of the biggest gates of hell into our nation. Gasp! Who would have thunk? Wow, we wouldn't have known that if God hadn't have told him that, right? We, there's no way... If God hadn't have told Rick Joyner about that satanic gate that was opened by dishonoring fathers, um, we, we'd be just caught naked in the battlefield. And, uh, you know, one of the promise, the promises in Exodus and Deuteronomy is that honor your fathers and mothers that you may dwell long in the land that the Lord's given to you. And one of the things he showed me, we would not dwell long in this land if we did not restore the honoring of the fathers. There's been a meltdown of morality, integrity, and everything else that would just become a cataclysmic very quick. A meltdown of morale. Did you a meltdown of morale? I thought people were since Adam and Eve were sinners. What generation can we point to and say, "Wow, that was really a moral generation"? They kept the law perfectly. <sighs> yeah, this guy does not understand God's law. He doesn't understand who God is. Apparently, he, God speaks to him. But see, the thing is, is that there is a false god that runs around with a little g. You know, Morning Star Ministries. Satan is called Son of the Morning Star. <clears throat> I think the two are connected directly. Anyway, I think you get the point. And, uh, you know, and this is the guy whose church does this kind of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, that's not from the Holy Spirit. Anyway, <laughs> oh man, folks, I told you heresy season is off and running now. Uh, <laughs> we're off to a great start for the heresy season for 2009. I uh, can't wait to see what happens by this time next year because I mean we got we got outright voodoo being practiced in churches now, and it being to- us being told it's an it's a move of the. <clears throat> Holy Spirit. Anyway, this leads to our next segment here. I wanted to pass along a great resource. I'll put a link up to it at fightingforthefaith.com. And it's a uh, it's an article written by Dan Phillips from Pyromaniacs. It's called Carpe Diem Preacher Dude. Carpe Diem being Latin for seize the day. And uh, just <clears throat> let me read. Here's what Dan Phillips says. He says, I can't tell you how many times I've sat in an assembly and thought this. In the past 35 plus years since my conversion, dude, this critical moment with these assembled people on this, your one shot and you do that with it. 
<laughs> Apparently somebody didn't do the carpet diem thing. He says, let me unpack this. To me, as a preacher, one of the most stirring and throat-grabbing and shaking passages in the Bible is the one that starts this way. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. That's a little, that, that'll get your attention, I think. But what's that he's preaching from here? That's Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. He says, what? You charge me, what? I'm sitting up wide awake, alert, holding my breath with an attention getter like that. What is the apostle going to say? The next verse says, preach the word. There it is. That is our defining task. That is what we must do. There may be pastoral activities that are nice and even complimentary, but this is not one of them. This is a must. This is definitional. This is non-negotiable. Fail at this and you fail at pastoral ministry. So this guy gets up in the pulpit, right? He's got all these people, this these immortal souls, literally one heartbeat away from an irreversible eternity, and he does what? This is the critical moment. These people have rearranged their calendars. They've altered their schedule. They, they've said no to every activity but this. They're, they're just sitting there. Most of all, most of them are quiet. You've got a minute to grab their attention and to fix on something. And what do you do? Well, maybe there are five people. Maybe there are 500 or 5,000. Maybe you've got five minutes. Maybe you've got 50. It doesn't matter. What do you do? This may be the only time they've been in a church about to hear someone who claims to believe the word, the gospel. Maybe they're there because a friend or a relative has prayed for them for months, for years, for decades. Finally, they're in a professionally Christian church, a prof yeah, professedly Christian church, intending to listen to whatever a professedly Christian preacher is about to say. It is literally a critical moment, a moment of crisis, a judgment. Angels attend. The triune God is there. Endless ages will reverberate with the impact of what happens next. These people are accountable. You are accountable. All eyes are on you. What do you do? What do you do with that priceless, pivotal, unbearably freighted opportunity? I can tell you what some do. This one guy, he tells jokes. Now, anyone who's heard me preach knows I have no problem with humor in the service of biblical messages, but the Bible... The Bible does it. Spurgeon did it. I do it. But that isn't the aim here. That isn't the purpose. No, these are jokes with the sole purpose of making the joker look cute and clever and witty. Oh, please, like me, these jokes wail. Love me. Think I'm cool. The audience chuckles and has a good time. Some of them go off to hell, chuckling. Others become a reproach to their professed Lord as they do what sheep characteristically do without a shepherd. Then there's this other guy who gets up and chats. He shares, he freely, he randomly free associates word flow unfiltered from his imagination to his mouth. He possesses questions to which he offers no answer. He, he then shrugs and wanders on. People leave with, with their never a thus says the Lord to challenge their thinking and point them to Christ. Yet a third fellow tells stories as if Garrison Keillor were his model or for preaching rather than Isaiah or Paul or Wesley or Whitfield or Spurgeon or Riley. 
they are stores of which the only point is the story itself or the cleverness of the storyteller. They serve an end of entertaining the audience, of provoking its admiration, or filling time inoffensively. They'll go off to hell or to shame Christ with a nice story in their ears. Still another gent weaves a blurry tapestry of vague, gauzy religious sentiments that could equally have been preached by a Unitarian, a pantheist, a New Age, or a Mormon, a Christian scientist, a Roman Catholic, or a secular motivational speaker. Nobody's offended. Nobody. People like him. They think he's clever. Well, good, because that's his goal, to be liked. Mission accomplished. He has his reward. They like him. Until eternity dawns, and they see how miserable he failed them. But for now, nobody's offended. Or upset. Well, n not everybody is not offended or upset. If I'm sitting there, you can lay mo good money, I'm offended. It isn't gambling when it's a sure thing. You can bet I'm sitting there fuming and internally shouting these words. You had that pulpit, these people, this opportunity, and you did that with it? What in the name of all that's holy were you thinking? May you never see these people again. Nobody may ever see them again. You may, ne okay, you may never see them again. That may have been your one opportunity, and you did that with it? Why did you even get up there? Why are you even a pastor? Once again, it's a critical moment. Vast ages of eternity hold their breath. Uh, what do you do with it? Preacher dude, best, of, best to ask yourself that question now before it's asked of you on that day. We've already got a peek at the teacher's guide. We know the answer we'd better be able to give. That is it. Say it with me. Preach the word. Now do it. It's a good article. I, I like how he built up the suspense in that thing. But you know what? That's the thing. He's right. These purpose-driven, seeker-sensitive hirelings have spent millions and millions and millions in marketing dollars, sending out postcards, paying for advertising, coming up with clever themes and, and sermon series, and they attract a huge crowd of people who who come to their churches in droves. You know, Perry Noble, they had 11,000 people at New Spring Church this past weekend. And he wasn't even there. He was at Walt Disney World with his wife. 11,000 people showed up to New Spring Church. That's the pastor who chewed everybody out and said he doesn't want to go to Denny's and have meals with people he's not comfortable with. Don't expect him to, you know, don't expect to know him. Um, 11,000 people show up and uh, what do they do? They don't even give him Christ. They don't even give him God's word. They don't even give them the gospel. Instead, like Scott Hodge, they give him leadership principles. You know, how to be a certain leader in times of uncertainty. I mean, isn't that relevant? Um, how to have a better sex life or bringing sexy back. Um, or, you know, how to, you know, how to manage your finances or something like that. Or in the case of Rick Joyner and the gang, they, they have a voodoo cer ceremony uh, where they invoke the anointing and call it... Um, I don't know, call it from the Holy Spirit. So with that in mind, <clears throat> we're going to uh, we're going to listen to um, a sermon entitled Beauty Restored. Now, I mean, with a name like Beauty Restored, you would think that the sermon is about, um, well, um, the gospel. 
the beauty of God's creation restored, the relationship between God and man reconciled through the death of Jesus Christ, his flogging, his piercings, his crown of thorns pressed into his head, his bleeding on behalf of you and your sins. Yeah, wouldn't that be beauty restored? The rela- God, that, that God was in Jesus reconciling the world to himself. I mean, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be great? But um, apparently not. In fact, I want to read you an email that I received from Chris. Chris writes, he says, I came across your podcast on iTunes and I've enjoyed listening to it over the past week. I too uh, am concerned over the growing trend of churches become seeker sensitive. I saw this development in the early 90s when I was on staff at a church here in San Jose. We were under the teaching of an incredibly intelligent pastor who would faithfully exegete God's word verse by verse. Then as Willow Creek became the mega church to be modeled after, we began to shift our focus. Sunday mornings were topical and we spent our times flipping from verse to verse, supporting topics designed to make seekers feel safe and secure and welcome. Needless to say, the vision for becoming a mega church never materialized. Rather, attendance dropped steadily. Today, the church is on life support and that pastor who oversaw the transition of his own quality teaching to watered down topical lessons has long since retired. I myself never liked the direction that had that had moved on well before things got out of hand, thankfully. I'm currently attending Quality Church in San Jose. It's growing rapidly, which scares me a bit. The pastor can be direct, which I appreciate, does not shy away from the truth that needs to be spoken, and we work to make a difference in our community. However, it's the latter that concerns me. I, I won't bore you with the details, but this past weekend, one of our other pastors, who is also a stand-up comedian... Um, <laughs> has been in the pulpit over the past two weeks, and the topic he's been preaching on is beauty restored. No, this isn't a message that reminds us of Christ's redeeming work on the cross and the imputation of righteousness so that we can approach the throne of God boldly. Rather, it's about something else. I Rather than tell you what it's about, um, let me play the <clears throat> sermon um, this is from Westgate Church in San Jose, California, and the name of the sermon is Beauty Restored. What a wonderful week of weather, right? And uh, while I would talk to friends from different states and uh, them telling me how far below zero it is, and, um, and I feel guilty a little bit, but then I rub it in. So it's been wonderful. This last week, I felt a real conviction um, after Tuesday's staff meeting. And the conviction was mainly this, that as I read through the prayer requests, there were two prominent themes that continued to emerge, uh, for me anyway, and I felt like I needed to do something. And I wanted to respond to that. One is issues of relationships. And relationships are continuing to just take a beating and, and, and struggle. And it was uh, time and time again, I know people come and just look for some sense of hope. Or some sense of God just speaking in their life. Uh, so I wanted to acknowledge that. And the second, I wanted to acknowledge uh, people that were out of work. Again, another consistent theme. And, and uh, just the things that I was just praying through this morning, as I was prepping for just thinking through my message and everything else, that kept coming back to me. So it's, this is kind of a deviation from where I was going to go. But I just I wanted to take a moment and pray for you. And just, uh, just to acknowledge... Um, that God is working in your heart and your life. God is working in your relationship as you continue to seek after God. Uh, it just draws you closer together naturally. 
and that God is a sustainer of all things. Um, and it seems like an easy thing to say when you're out of work. Um, but there's a sense of God knowing this and knowing what your needs are. So if that's you, I don't want to have you stand up or anything. I just, you, you know who you are. I just want to pray for you. And w- the rest of you pray with me. Um, just that uh, the Lord's comfort and his blessing and his provision would just be manifested today, we pray. So uh, pray with me. Father, I just uh, I want to acknowledge just people that are struggling right now. And, um, Lord, there's so many of us here. And, Lord, will you do a work in our hearts and our life? Will you do a work in our relationships that may be um, struggling and limping along? Father, will you show us um, how to forgive based on your model of forgiveness of us? And will you give us the grace and the power and the strength to do that? Father, I also pray for those that are out of work and those that are struggling with employment and provision. Lord, will you... Um, just show up in their life in a big way. We, we ask just the, the, the desires of our hearts that you would help them find work and help them find uh, the job that is um, just so empowering to them and, and uh, just fuels their fire. But, Lord, we just we pray for work. We pray for our economy. And I pray for those that they continue from week in and week out would experience your sustaining power and your provision. You just bless us in that, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. I want to tell you a little story. This is, uh, you know, you get back from uh, the holidays, and it takes, I don't know how many weeks to kind of catch up. And uh, so I had the same thing. You, you know, you click on your email, and then all of a sudden, you know, you have 800 new emails. And I'm like, oh, man. I'm, you know, and I'm thinking, and we have a spam filter, so that's not even the ones that are on the spam filter. Um, but the other thing, because we have so many different network sites like, uh, Facebook or whatever else, you get all the emails in that as well. Anybody Facebookers here? Facebookers? Wow, all my friends are here. That's great. Um, so, so I'm going through Facebook, and uh, you know when you get um, someone says, "Do you want to like a snowball fight?" or um, wants to give you flair, and they give you all these things, or you invite you to some sort of cause. And I, and this is my rule. Ignore, 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 all the way down, you know. So I'm going through those things, and uh, and I notice, I just happen to notice, it's, it says, would you like to celebrate Jesus' birthday? I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> but I have a rule that I ignore. So I, I don't want to hit no, and I don't want to hit ignore, because I don't want to ignore Jesus' birthday, but I don't want to hit yes, because it's going to take me all this other stuff. So I don't do anything with it. It's just still on there. <laughs> and then I, I came on the other day, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I could just hit the little exit box, the little close box. And so I, I go to click the close box, and it asks me a question. Would you like to cancel Jesus' birthday? <laughs> now I'm like, no, I don't want to cancel his birthday. Can you imagine <laughs> clicking it? What happened to Christmas? Oh, some guy in San Jose, he canceled it. Didn't know what he was doing on Facebook. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. I guess uh, Chris was right. Uh, this guy is a stand-up comedian. Clever story. Wow, that was funny. When they do that, it's because they want people to like him. 
but I just wanted to share that story because I thought it was pretty, pretty darn funny. Um, we wanted to, you know, we're in the series in Corinthians, but we wanted to take two weeks um, in January, which just kind of starts out our new year as we begin to think afresh of things that we want to do and um, things, initiatives that we want you to be part of. And, and to Notice he just said that we were doing a series in, in the, one of the books of Corinthians, right? So they were doing a biblical teaching, but we're going to stop that right now so that we can do this. To think through, and we wanted to acknowledge the idea of creation care and uh, bring that to the forefront of what we do here at Westgate and call people to something with that. So we wanted to take two weeks in that. And so um, I started this just, just today. This is Beauty Restored, Green Living in God's Creation. Yeah, this, this sermon's about going green. Just want to make, let you know. And I wanted to talk through, for me, some cultural things that shaped my early thinking about environment. Cultural things that shaped his thinking. Cultural things that shaped his... I thought he was a pastor. Okay. Cultural things that shaped his thinking. I mean, because those are... Those cultural things. Yeah, they're... Uh, they're. And environmentalism. Uh, my My grandfather, my dad's father was a lumberjack uh, in Northern California. His name was Samuel Mack Talbert, and he was what they call a faller. You see the picture that'll come up here in a second. Um, it shows some guys whacking on a tree. Um, soon it'll come up. There it is. Um, but it, it, obviously that's much older than my grandfather, but this is what a lot of what he would do was just, you know, taking the saw or whatever and working through old growth and uh, chopping down some big trees. And later on, he became what they call a scaler. And a scaler was one that walked through as the, as the trees were down and would do some measuring of the length based on the wood size and um, the circumference of the trunk and determining how many boards they can get out of that and then making their estimates of what they do and how much they would make in a week. Um, and he did that for a number of years, and he died when I was four. I, I don't remember very much of my grandfather. At all, but what I do remember is the stories that were told afterwards, and I began to just kind of connect to what a cool guy he was, and uh, just some of the things that he would do. I love watching whenever a lumberjack show comes on. I love watching these lumberjacks um, doing different things because it reminds me of my father. These guys, you know, whacking down, you know, some trees and knocking some things over, and um, the guys that shimmy up the trees, uh, doing that kind of stuff. Logging competitions, chainsaws. I also like the guy, I think the picture's on there, of the guy throwing the, the hatchet. I know that has nothing to do with logging, but that just seems like a cool thing. It has nothing to do with the Bible either. Well, going green's not a bad thing. It's just that, why are they talking about it in church? I, apparently, well, maybe he's reading that green Bible. Oh, that's, yeah. I forgot about yeah. the he, green Bible. The green Bible. Ho, ho, ho. Green Bible. <laughs> you know? I'm a lumberjack, you know. But my grandfather, and what I really envisioned him to be, was uh, of the greatest lumberjacks in American culture, which would have been Paul Bunyan, right? That's what I, this is what I see as my grandfather. Kind of a larger-than-life kind of guy. And, uh, you know, it's interesting growing up um, with some of Disney's portrayal of Paul Bunyan. You see Paul Bunyan here, this is 1958 um, Disney's portrayal of the movie where he's just kind of whacking the trees willy-nilly, you know. 
And, uh, and then it has him, you know, the logs and he's riding them down like water skis down the river. And that was my, that was my view of environmentalism. <laughs> From a lumberjack's perspective. Well, in 1985, I had my oldest daughter, Jacqueline, and Jacqueline saw life completely different. I, you know, she, I, I just got to say this. Did you know that trees are a renewable resource? I know that this is going to be hard for some of you to stomach, but it's true. You can actually plant trees and they grow. Did you know that you can clear an area of the forest and use it to build houses and plant trees and like 30, 40 years later, you could clear that again. Did you, did you know they were new, renewable? They grow. Just want to make sure that you understood that. <clears throat> she would, she sees trees for what they are. They're green and they're beautiful. She sees them for shade, uh, for kids to play in. That became her, uh, her, uh, I see houses. I see, I see nice decks, you know, <laughs> Yeah, life, you know, and she and she didn't like the idea of chopping down trees. In fact, when she was in junior high, I remember her walking to our middle school and she come back at the end of the day and she told me, Dad, on my way to school, I hugged and I kissed every tree that was in our path. I said, honey, that's weird. Um, There's a picture. This isn't of her, but uh, just to give you an idea of what that actually looks like. And for her. Um, Disney came out in 1995 when she was 10 with uh, the, the movie Pocahontas. And Pocahontas takes a different, Disney takes a whole other political spin on environmentalism. Because Pocahontas is friends with the squirrels and the Because ch- everyone knows that Disney actually helped author the New Testament. Did you know that? I hadn't heard that one. Yeah, Walt Disney. What you don't know is, is that Disney was, um, was like the... Th- Second cousin, third removed of uh, Isaiah. Oh, yeah, and um, he's actually um, one of the minorist prophets. It's, it's a different section of scripture that a lot of people just are not familiar with. Your knowledge always surprises me. Yeah, it, it's it's, but it's really this is they've expanded it in the Green Bible because, oh. in fact, if you have it in your Bible, you just might miss it because there's it, it's one of the silent. Um, parts of scripture where there's no words, but you can feel it. If you, if you touch your Bible with your hands, you can feel the Holy Spirit telling you about the words from this Disney section of scripture. Chipmunks. And she talks to trees and they talk back to her. And so that fits her system. That didn't fit my system. I remember we'd have these discussions because I saw lumber as good, building more houses and roads and develop commerce. And she saw cutting down trees as an act of violence and uh, wanted us to leave things to be. And I remember telling her, I said, honey, or she, or she told me, dad, your world is going to look like this with, these, with just stumps and barren land. And I said, well, if you keep this up, your world's going to look like this where you're, you know, hanging out with hippies. <laughs> That'd be your world. And I said, in fact, if you keep this up, you may marry a guy that looks like this. And she said, oh, yeah, well, when I sleep and I dream about you, I dream of a guy like this. You can download the PowerPoint slide if you want to get the jokes. Um, Westgate, I forget. It's, it, look it up online, Westgate Church in, in San Jose, California. Well, Eleven minutes into the sermon... 
it started off with a prayer that he felt led to um, give, I mean, a prayer that he felt led to give, and, and uh, we're in, any idea where we're going with this yet? No. Not yet. I, I haven't, well, maybe he'll bring some, I did see the PowerPoint slide, and there, there are some Bible verses that get brought up. We're completely different pages of the spectrum. Uh, this morning we want to, uh, we're going to look at creation care. And there's many views and opinions that seem to be pressing issues for the planet and our environment. And we want to know what our response should be and what does God say about creation and the environment. So would you join me in prayer and we'll just ask the Lord to illuminate our eyes as we look to the scriptures. Father, we just we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can come together and ask and dialogue about some honest questions about uh, the creation and the care of it. And we illuminate our eyes as we look to the scriptures and we begin to understand what our role is in that. And that we would walk away with some type of conviction or motivation or a clear insight as to how we should live, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So there are mixed feelings about the environment, for sure. In fact, uh, when I look at this church and when I talk to people, generally, now this is a general label or assumption, but people that are 35 and under care differently than people than 35 and older, or 36 and older. Uh, we, we don't care as much. We don't seem that, that, um, that creation care was that big of a deal. In fact, I didn't think about creation care. When I moved up here, I never thought about it, ever. And, uh, you know, it's just, I thought of just when people put their, we, when I moved up here to San Jose, I got a recycling bin. You know, I did have, a, I had a trash can and then I had. By the way, this is one of the new ways you can tell whether or not somebody really is truly a Christian. I'm serious, okay? It's it's a form of pietism, okay? Now, when I was growing up in the Nazarene church, they talked about the second blessing holiness. You ever heard of the second blessing? Okay. Um, the second blessing was really reserved for a second tier, a higher tier of Christian who really got it. They were more committed, more on fire, and more spiritual than everybody else. Therefore, God gave them the second blessing. Okay, and they that that and so you know, and if you didn't dance, if you didn't go to movies, if you didn't um, you know you know name watch television, chew tobacco, uh, smoke, drink, and all, see you were holier than other people. You were more pious, and that was the that was the badge. That's how you knew somebody really had a relationship with Jesus Christ is if they gave up all of that stuff, right? Okay. Now, nowadays, there's a new form of pietism, okay? And if you are really a Christ follower, then then you uh, you recycle, okay? Um, my, I, I've been recycling for a long time, but I care less as far as, far as a Christian is concerned. They my my trash company they give me a can for the trash. They give me a can for the recyclings, and then they give me a can for the uh, the, for the uh, grass clippings. Did you know that? And they are different colors, and you know, for years, you know. But I can tell you this: it doesn't make me a better Christian whatsoever, just because I put the plastic in one bin and I put the the coffee grounds in another. <sighs> anyway, I had a recycling bin, and I, and I was forced to care, and so I didn't think about it all that much. 
So he didn't recycle from his heart, just like I didn't. So, you know, if, if, folks, if you can't really be a true Christ follower unless you recycle from the heart. So if you're doing it to get that extra money, that's... Right, we'll see. Uh, exactly. I've done that before, too, where you've taken the glass bottles in and you got the money for it. Or you've, you've, take, you've, you've done the aluminum thing and you've gotten the money for it. Yeah. Just as long as you tithe right off the gross, then that's okay. <laughs> so d- just want to make sure you understand this. Unless... You know, <laughs> Unless you're recycling from the heart, then you don't really care about God's planet. And as far as people's feelings are concerned, what I find is that people seem to fall into one of these four categories that are just put together. And so I laid out this matrix, and at the top of the... Uh, This is like an MBA matrix, okay? (laughs) That's ridiculous. Grid, it says you don't believe or you believe. And going down the side is that you don't care or you care. And then you fall into any one of these boxes that fit this grid. And I'll walk you through them. The first box. Uh, but I just want to make sure you understand. This grid is not reproduced in any passage of Scripture. So what seminar is this again? Um, apparently it's on it, – well, the name of it is Restoring Beauty. This is a seminar, right? No, it's, it's supposed to be a sermon. Oh, oh. Okay. Maybe it's a seminar. <laughs> <laughs> That's what this is. This is a seminar. All right, here we go. Is that you don't believe and you don't care. Now, again, this was me on the front end of this, uh, not less than 10 years ago, more over 10 years ago, just a little bit over 10 years. Yeah, because he wasn't recycling from the heart. Just want to make sure you understand that. And it was like this. You don't buy the hype. You recognize and think that it has some sort of liberal agenda behind it. There's some sort of, you know, evil plan that that is going to, uh, we've got to we've got to take things over this way, and your response or the common response would be, I'll do what's right for me, I'll do what what seems to be, you know, this seems to be right, I'll do this, and you look at the earth and the earth is something. Okay, so what seems to be right? So apparently, did you know that there is an absolute moral standard for um, creation care? I now hold on a second here, folks. Uh, I'm pointing this out because I would like to know what that standard is. I have seen stories of people who have moved from larger homes to smaller homes, who had SUVs that now only have hybrids or a bicycle. They they you know they only eat foods that are organically grown. They you know. So my question, right off the bat, what's the standard in the scripture as far as what, how green do I need to be in order to be a real true Christ follower? Show me. Am I holier if I have a smaller home, if I drive a hybrid? Am I sinning if I have an SUV? Is a six-cylinder SUV okay as opposed to an eight- or ten-cylinder what what gas mileage does my vehicle need to get in order for me to truly say that I love Christ? I want to know. You know, with all this stuff going on, it'll correct itself. It's done for thousands of years before this. It'll correct itself again. And so why should I worry about it? This is no big deal. You're making something bigger that we don't need to think about. There are people that are honestly in that camp. The second box is that you do believe... But you don't care. You do believe and you don't care. You've become, you believe, uh, you can, your, your contribution is going to be very little, if anything at all. 
And you become overwhelmed with the scope of it. You continue to hear statistics. You see things on commercials. And you see actors and actresses. You know, you know it's the coldest uh, winter in 40 years. And it was predicted to be that way because there's certain sun cycles that have just ended. Did you know that it's the sun that causes global warming? The big fireball in the sky. Just want to make sure I understand that. Championing uh, one cause after the next cause after the next. And there's nothing. You're just like, what, what can I do? And you look at it and you, your common words would be, my efforts have no effect. The third box, you don't believe, but you care. Now, that seems, that seems like a little bit of a contradiction. But I actually found myself in this box more than any other box. Uh, biblically, which box are we supposed to be in? That you don't believe, but you care. You're skeptical. You're indifferent about this. Conservation has to be something that's convenient to you, or you're not going to do it. Because you know it's kind of important. And you say words, statements that sound like this. I'll participate if it benefits me. Now, let me give you an example. When I go to take the smog test, I am not thinking about the environment. I'm thinking about this doggone car better pass. Because then I have to pay more money in order to get the car up to code in order for it to pass. Not thinking about the environment, thinking about my pocketbook. And this stems from an earlier uh, growing up uh, when I would have a can collection in our house of aluminum cans. And I would take all aluminum cans. Why? Environment? Recycle? No, I got money. Remember? And so my, my motivation was completely different. So, okay, like I said, unless you're recycling from the heart, from a selfless, altruistic point of view, then you're not really truly a Christ follower. In fact, you should probably question your salvation. You know, it was Billy Sunday and, and that crowd, the, the revivalist crowd, they would basically say that if you were born again on Sunday and you got drunk on Monday, then you lost your salvation and you need to be saved again. Folks, if, uh, if you were born again on Sunday and you threw away a plastic bottle in the wrong container on Monday, then you are not saved. You don't care. You're not recycling from the heart. You are going to hell. You are not truly a Christ follower. I don't necessarily believe it's not as of a priority to me, but I care because I get something out of it. And that might be you too. And there's a fourth box, and the fourth box is that you do believe and you do care. You choose to respond to what you believe. Your efforts matter. And you, and you say things that sound something like this. I will live in a way that reflects my convictions. And I would say for me, having come here to the Bay Area, being in, I've been in three boxes so far where uh, now I've, I've moved more towards the I'm trying. I, I believe some of the things that I'm hearing and I'm hearing uh, credible people speaking of things that are specific issues for our planet. And I think, gosh, as a church community, not only just personally, but as a church community, as we continue to play a role in helping and encouraging and, and, and motivating and empowering other churches, should we not set the example even in our church and our corporate sense, sense together? You know, can you imagine going into a grocery store and there being a non-believer behind you in line? 
and you take the store's plastic bags for your groceries. You could you there I there's no way that person's ever going to believe you're really a Christian. No way. Cuz real Christians never use plastic. They use those uh those canvas bags. And so feeling some sense of conviction over that. In fact, I um, went to a restaurant nearby here. I won't, I'm not going to out them. Um, but I had a Sobe drink, you know, a glass bottle of Sobe. And I remember finishing it and taking my, my, my glass bottle and I said, where's your recycling? And he says, we just throw it in the trash. We don't recycle here. And I'm like, oh, I'm so glad he didn't out them. Could you imagine the scandal? This would probably make the, uh, the, the front page of the San Francisco Chronicle. Local restaurant doesn't recycle. Stone them! Stone them! Witch! Witch! <laughs> Drown her! They probably smoked and drank alcohol, too. Oh, that's... See, they don't care about that kind of... <laughs> there's new vices now. I'm, I'm telling you. This is a new pietism. The new, the, the new pietism doesn't care if people are smoking or drinking or anything like that. I don't care if you're shooting up drugs, but you had better be recycling. And, and I remember thinking, wow, it like took me back. Like, really? I would have never said that 10 years ago. I'd have just chucked it. I wouldn't have even asked. Now I begin to ask. I begin to think and it slowly begins to, to uh, affect my feelings and responses to things. But you fit into one of those categories. Again, keep in mind, these categories appear nowhere in Scripture. This little chart that he put together doesn't appear in the Bible. And you have these mixed feelings, and often this is a representation of the church within these boxes. In fact, as I travel and go to different churches and, and talk to people from different churches, there are different, there's, there's more uh, concentration of percentage of people in different categories based on where you are in the country. Some places, they don't care like they do in liberal Bay Area bunch of kooks out here. We don't do that. We burn our trash or whatever. In, the, in some parts of the country, they have trash burning days. I've seen this as I've driven across the country. You know, wow, there's smoke on the horizon. What's going on? It's a trash burning day. <sighs> Either way, the church has mixed feelings about the environment. And a lot of it... Because there are worldviews that are deeply embedded into environmentalism that we're unsure of. Yeah, it's called Marxism. Okay? It's called Marxism. I'm sorry, but much of the environmental hype is by a bunch of socialists. Okay? They want to put us back into the Stone Age. Sorry, there, there is a worldview associated with it, and it's called Marxism. And so we've been indifferent about that for a long period of time. And no, no, no. Indifference not the word I would use. I would say antithetical. Okay? Sorry, I don't buy their conclusions and I don't buy their premises. There are good scientists who completely disagree with them. It takes us really to this next section, which I call mixed views on environmentalism. <clears throat> Oftentimes, the first mention of environmental issues, many Christians become entangled uh, in the debate about the causes and the cures of global warming and their political ramifications, that there's some sort of politics behind it. This uh, political party didn't do as much as that, and we're going to say the things that need to be said, but they, we, don't, we just more care about your vote and getting into a position of power. And so there's always these things that we have uh, feelings of suspect around. 
when issues regarding the environment began to surface, it was largely associated with what we call a liberal ideology. Issues about the care of the planet, uh, surface pollution, carbon emission, ozone issues, endangered species. These are just to name a few. These issues were then championed by those that were typified as what we call tree huggers or environmental extremists. A lot of it was associated with what we call New Age thinking. And so the church didn't know how to respond to it. In many ways, in many of these early environmental movements, there are those who unknowingly propagated what we call a pantheistic view of nature. And it's this. God was all things, not the creator of all things. And thus the creation became the object of worship and not the creator we began to see the different pieces of creation and say, God is everything. No, God created everything. God is sustainer of everything. But that ain't God. That's just a piece of grass. But we began to worship. You see this, this, this pantheistic um, rise within, uh, create, or within environmentalism that caused a problem for the church. In light of this movement towards creation and not the creator, the church and the followers of Jesus would dismiss any and all environmental messages because we did not trust the messenger. Um, Is it that we didn't trust the messenger or, let me be a little bit more to the point, show me where this is a major theme of scripture. We've been given a book to preach. It's called the Bible. Right now, that doesn't mean that the, the scriptures don't talk about creation care. It does, and I don't find a lot of Christian churches out there waving banners saying "rape the planet." I don't see that at all. Okay, and, and, and I'll be blunt with you: here in my suburbanite uh, home here in uh, Southern California, with my suburbanite friends, I don't see a bunch of people who are raping the planet either. I see hardworking people who recycle, who generally conserve water. You know why I conserve water? Because it's expensive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, this. Uh, here's the problem, dude. These other people, these pantheistic New Age Marxists, they're demonizing the way we live. And there's no clear word from God that says what we're doing is a sin. So show me in scripture where it says I have to ride my bike to work or I'm not a good Christ follower. Show me in the scripture where it says that I can't I can't use plastic. Instead, I have to use canvas. Show me in the scripture. Show me in the scripture. See, the, the church has got a mission. It's to preach Christ and him crucified, to go and make disciples of all nations. Right? Teaching them all that Christ has taught. Which which passage is where did Jesus say um, to recycle? It's not in there, Chris. He didn't say it at all. No. Okay. When you read through all the Gospels, I don't see any major environmental themes. Okay. 
it's not to say that in caring for the environment is not an important thing. Yeah, we've got we don't want to use up all of our resources. We don't want to pass on a planet that's that's polluted. And believe me, in my lifetime, I've seen some improvements in the environment. I remember as a kid growing up in Southern California, having smog days. These are days when you didn't want to go outside and play because if you did, you come inside and your lungs would hurt because of all the smog. I'm actually pretty happy for a lot of the emissions legislation in the state of California because we don't have smog days anymore. I'm very happy for the advances in technology, but it doesn't make me a better Christian. It doesn't make me a better Christ follower if I have an SUV or a hybrid. If I got a hybrid, the only reason I would do it is to figure out how to save money on gas. I, I, I'm not sure if he's somebody that is steeped in New Age kind of thinking. I, I don't know. So I just I, I dismissed the message entirely. We are 21 minutes into this sermon. How many verses have we heard so far? Zero. Not one. In our minds, we link things like pro-environmentalism with pro-choice crowd or uh, other ideologies that ran against the traditional church lines and uh, were considered anti-Christian. And yet over the years, as we've seen and we've watched and come into even just recent times, in fact, on Tuesday, we will put a president in office who will have a pretty strong agenda about the environment. And there's some specific things that we've seen that have some credible research behind them. that has shown that the planet is, in fact, overwhelmed with environmental issues, pollution and waste. And while the trees are a renewable resource, they need to be replanted and replenished. As if nobody's doing that. Give me a break. Even the big lumber companies replant the forests that they chop down. Why? Because they want to have a harvest again in a few years. It's not like we've... I'm the Lorax. I speak for the trees. And there's not one tree left. There are endangered animals that need our extension of protection. And point to me to any Christian who's saying, no, kill the, all, get rid of all of those animals that are on the endangered species list. There are corporations that could be irresponsibly heaping massive amounts of waste and hazardous materials. And those, are, those corporations are all breaking the law. It's not like we don't have laws already that protect the environment. Within the atmosphere. And there is an excessive abuse of dwindling resources that really a lot of it is coming from North America. That we're in this. And so there are specific things that are going on, and we can't deny them. Now, I, I, someone asked me this in, in the services on Saturday night, and we talked about there's a, a mindset that if our environmental efforts will save the planet, but does that change God's timeline? No. I think God has a timeline for the planet and it's his timeline. And it's not like God's going to look at the planet and go, oh, man, you guys are just screwing this up. I'm going to have to just speed things up on my timeline of what we're going to do. No. I do you know that God actually destroyed the entire planet with a flood? Do you know he did that? You ever read the story of Noah? God, the environmentalist, destroyed everything with the exception of a few animals that were on a boat with Noah and the ark. You know, you know what? That when he comes, comes when Christ comes back, this earth as we know it, he's going to destroy it with fire. Now, I'm not saying that that justifies going out and raping the planet, but again, show me in Scripture where it says that I have to use 
canvas instead of plastic. I just think it's more like, you know, picture your kid's messy room. You know, it's either clean or it's either messy. Either way, they got to live in it. And God gives us this planet to steward. And it's not going to change his timeline, but it will change the way and the caliber and the quality of how we live and respond to those around us. But as we looked at this and as the church began to respond, uh, we found ourselves late in the game towards environmentalism. As we look at things that are happening around the community or we look at things that are happening in our government, we realize, why, why wasn't the church doing these things? Uh, the church is supposed to be proclaiming Christ and him crucified. We've got to actually, we've got a real important agenda. We've got to actually go and make disciples. Did you know that? Read Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations. We, we actually have a mandate. Now, Christians can care for the planet and recycle and, and be good stewards of the environment. God bless them if they do. Okay, but the purpose of the church, uh, we come together to feed on God's word, receive the sacraments, and, uh, oh yeah, preach the gospel and go and make disciples of all nations, right? <sighs> It, these guys act like that. The the church hasn't been given a mandate, a commission. It's called the Great Commission. Okay, f- f- folks, let, let me give you an example. Uh, let me use a relevant cultural example here. My son's in uh, Navy boot camp. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've talked about this. Now, a few weeks ago, they commissioned a brand new aircraft carrier, Nimitz class carrier, the George uh, the George H W Bush. Uh, is the name of the aircraft carrier. It's named after uh, George Bush's father. Okay. Uh, what, 43, uh, you know, it was 41, Bush 41, then there was, okay, anyway. Okay, so they commissioned that aircraft carrier. Do you know what that aircraft carrier is commissioned to do? To carry warplanes and bombs and ammunition and guns and to be a literally a floating airport for military warplanes whose job is to destroy enemy targets and enemy combatants. Did you know that? That's what it's commissioned for. Okay. Now, if we were to take the George Bush aircraft carrier and decide, well, we know that it's been commissioned to do that, but what we really need the George Bush to be doing, um, we actually want it to, um, to be carrying, uh, food freight, um, you know, uh, grain from uh, Kansas, you know, f- that's grown in Kansas to Somalia. We're, forget the warplane stuff. We're just going to, we're going to have it, you know, go and feed the, the hungry people in Somalia and Ethiopia. Right? It sounds so great, doesn't it? What a complete waste for a warship. Because <laughs> they have, they have ships that are designed to do that, by the way. Liberty ships. Yeah, well, cargo carriers, you know, things like that. Okay. There are grain ships. Okay. Um, you know what we're going to do? We're, we're going to use the George, but we're going to turn it into a, um, uh, a, an oil tanker. Why don't we do that? It's not really well suited for that. Um, but you know, it, 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 it it's capable of carrying some oil, you know, and we should, and we should have it carry that oil to the starving people in, uh, in the third world. Wouldn't that be great? You're sitting there going, I think you're making your point, but see, folks, the Christian church has been commissioned to do something. Okay. We're a warship. I'm sorry. That's what we are. We are a warship. We are at war with Satan. Okay. We have been literally transformed from sheep, from goat into goats into sheep. 
Okay, we are soldiers in the army of Christ. Okay, and the church has got a, a commission to go out and make disciples of all nations. That literally means preaching the gospel and ripping people out of the kingdom of Satan and bringing them into the, into the kingdom of God, where they can receive rep- the forgiveness of sins, where they repent of their sins, and God sanctifies them through the ho- the work of His Holy Spirit through the preaching of His Word and the gospel and the and the sacraments. Right? Okay. Now that's our commission as a church. I'm sorry, but asking us to somehow get into the environmental game doesn't make any sense at all. That's not what we've been commissioned to do. Now, I could play more of this sermon, but I think you kind of get the point. We're literally 24 minutes into it, no scripture yet. And let me read again something that uh, I read earlier from from Dan Phillips, from Pyromaniacs, from his piece that we just, just read. You, speaking to this young kid who had this pulpit, or I don't know if it's a kid, but this pastor that had the pulpit, he says, you had that pulpit, these people and this opportunity, and you did that with it? What in the name of all that's holy were you thinking? You may never see those people again. Nobody may ever see them again. That may have been your one and only opportunity, and you did that with it? Why did you even get up there? Why are you even a pastor? Scripture is clear. Preach the word. I can care less about this environmental nonsense. <laughs> You're looking at me like, uh-huh. Yeah, I would say that theology is a little more important than Christian unity. Well, here's the deal. This, we're talking about a church. We're not talking about, um, you know, a, a, a meeting of Greenpeace. This wasn't a Sierra Club meeting. This was a meeting of the body of Christ to feed on God's word and to hear about what Christ has done and received... Receive the gospel, the good news that Christ died for their sins. And they're starving. And they're starving for it. And what did they get? Well, we have some theories about why the Christian church hasn't exactly embraced the environmental message. (sighs) Yeah, again, a complete waste of time. Preach the word. Pastors, preach the word. Stop doing this kind of stuff. And if you're not doing it, praise God that there are pastors out there who aren't doing it. Man, (sighs) <sighs> do, I, do I sound a little exercised? Yeah, I, I think I sounded a little exercised. All right, we're at the end of our program today. Just want to remind you that Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported. You can uh, support us by sending a check to Fighting for the Faith at Post Office Box 791, SJC, California, 92693. Oh, wow, that was loud. <laughs> Or you can go to fightingforthefaith.com and click on the donate button. Hey, until next time, may God bless you. <laughs>